Just an editor's note, the tail end of this episode has been edited slightly. Um, After the official end of the show, we continued the discussion that we were having, and Bill shared a story that I really wanted to include in the episode itself. So you'll hear Bill's mic change slightly, and that's how you'll know that you're listening to something from the future. Thanks. Hey, this is Morgan, and I approve this message. You're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I'm your moderator, and I am joined this week by Esposo de la Pastora, Dan Marcello. Que tal? <laughs> Worship. All right. Worship Director <laughs> Scott Reed. Yes! <laughs> A little less noise there. And Pentecost <laughs> Trivia Champion, Bill Callen. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> we should make it clear for Forever. listeners who don't know or don't speak Spanish, I actually got a question about this. Esposo de la Pastora. Dan, what does that mean? It means the lady pastor's husband. That's right. <laughs> Bill, will you pray for us? <laughs> All right. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day. I pray your best upon what we're about to do. Give us clear minds, and we pray that we glorify you. Amen. 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 All right, Scott. All right, well, we got a new twist on the Would You Rather segment today. This is something that we've done a couple times for fun as we've been getting the stuff set up, but never live on the air. So what we're going to do is we're going to mix and match one half of one question and one half of the other question. And so as you can imagine, they'll generally have nothing to do with each other. Also, to keep it fresh, I'm not screening the questions. (laughs) I'm just going to read one and then quickly... Glance down the card and find the second half of another one. We're so live I hope on the air. that they're not inappropriate. <laughs> All right. Would you rather? Would you rather? <laughs> sorry. This is a game of can Scott get through the question without laughing? laughing. Yeah. The mix and matches are just so funny. They always make me laugh, more so even than the regular questions. Would you rather skydive without a lesson or be known as a liar? <laughs> 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 I'm going to skydive without the lesson. I mean, how hard is it? Pull this tab. Yeah. yeah you never this. said you couldn't skydive with the person. And the instructor, <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. Skydive okay. with the instructor without a lesson. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm in I never for said that. you couldn't be known as a liar with another person. <laughs> <laughs> I think being known as a liar just has so many downsides. Yeah. I mean, at least if things go wrong with the skydiving, it'll only happen once. A liar will follow you around forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> would you rather would you rather fish with your hands in a pond until you catch something or never know when to back down? <laughs> so you have to keep fishing until you get something. <laughs> that sounds like the same thing. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um I'll go with fishing because at least at the end you've gained a little bit of skill, probably. Mm-hmm. But you have to be there until you catch something. Yeah, they didn't say someone couldn't bring you McDonald's. <laughs> All right. I do the fish. Really hungry. <laughs> no, I want to do the thing about never back down. <laughs> I, think, I can't even catch a fish with a hook, let alone with my <laughs> I every Disney movie ever has taught me to never back down. So how can I not go with that? <laughs> All right, well, let's get into Topic of the Week. Topic of the Week this week is brought to you by Financial Peace University. FPU is a nine-week class on money in which Dave Ramsey will walk you through the basics of budgeting, dumping debt, planning for the future, and much more. For the first half of the class, Dave Ramsey teaches via recorded videos, and for the second half, class members come together for a small group discussion and hands-on activities. 
Group members support and encourage each other as they work to change their financial futures. The cost is $99 and scholarships are available. If you're not in debt and would like to learn how to invest, how to do wise estate planning, and what it means to be a generous person, then FPU 2.0 is the class for you. Featuring talks by certified financial planners, estate planning attorneys, real estate investors, and a minister of generous giving, the course is free and offered via Zoom. Financial Peace University and Financial Peace 2.0 every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. July 5th through August 30th. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash financialpeace to learn more and to register before July 1st. Thank you for doing that. I'm, I can't wait for this. Yeah. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. I hope that our listeners will consider giving FPU a shot if they haven't already. Mm. I mean, the average family has, what, about $40,000 in debt that's not even house-related. Wow. And so it really is a very practical, useful course mm. for helping to give you like practical steps to eliminate that debt mm. in a short amount of time. I'm not a huge fan of Dave Ramsey, but my parents swear by uh, FPU. And they, they took it at our church, I don't know, 10 years ago, and then they were like, we will pay for all of our children to take it if you want to take it. So they're big fans. I'm Just, a big fan of Don and Pat Mueller. Mm. The Dave Ramsey videos are good, but the teachers we have at church are great. And they'll counsel you privately, and everything is private. It's not like you got to bear your personal finances in those classes. It's, yeah. it's not like that at all. Uh, so just to clarify, are FPU and Financial Peace 2.0, are they at the same time? Yes. Okay. Do you need to have taken FPU 1.0 before you can take 2.0? Uh, 2.0 is pretty much an invitation class. Okay. So people who've shown that they are living a debt-free lifestyle, they're the ones being invited. Well, let's do topic of the week. Uh, this actually is the last podcast of the month of June, which is crazy. That happened very fast. Uh, next week, we'll be recording on July 1st. And since we started the podcast, I wanted to do an episode called like Questions Week or Mini Questions Week, uh, where we all bring some questions that we've been wanting to ask the panel. Um, and we've been putting it off long enough. We're now in episode 19. <laughs> uh, so let's make it happen. I know uh, we've each brought at least one question for the, the panel. Um, I don't want to be afraid to let things turn into like a longer conversation. If you want to, we can mm -hmm. always make this a two-parter. But uh, does anybody have uh, a question they want to start off with? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, so my question has some follow-up questions depending on which way the first part goes. Um, but the the question to start it off is, is it a sin to swear? Like, not to mm -hmm. say, like, I swear I will do this, but to use, like, you know, the F-bomb or S-word, things like that. Well, I, th I think back to the, the Ten Commandments, actually taking the Lord's name in vain, hmm. obviously, is a big deal to be included in that list of, hey, these are the ten, like, big things to avoid doing that are sins. So, like, obviously, taking the Lord's name is a sin in the context of cussing or swearing. Yes, I, there are passages in the New Testament say, allow no unwholesome talk mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. come from your mouth. So I, I feel that it's sinful, and that's why I really worked hard my whole life not to curse. I'm thinking back to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking about like if you have anger in your heart towards someone, mm -hmm. if you, you call them, I think the word was raka, you know, like a fool, like if you're, you know, cursing someone out in that sense, like, hey, you're in the, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Sure. 
So Ephesians 4.29 is the, the mm-hmm. passage that Bill's referencing. Do yep. not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I guess I have two follow-up questions. One of them, I don't know if there's really an answer to it. It's just kind of like, I know a number of Christians and, and pretty strong Christians who swear, you know, use profane language like fairly regularly and casually. Why do you think... Why do you think that why do you think that is? I know some people like that as well and I think a lot of it is like upbringing who you surround yourself with and like especially cursing like if you're surrounded by people who do it mm-hmm. regularly it really rubs off on you. I remember sure. mm-hmm. in college early on and I was really not kind of walking any kind of strong faith and I my roommate like would drop swear words all the time and I found myself I didn't swear like outwardly a lot but I was like in my mind mm-hmm. curse just because I was hearing it, like every other word this kid would say would be like the f bomb, sure, or like the s word, or whatever, and so it just was like kind of rubbed off on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my experience too. When I worked on a car lot, the other salespeople would curse nonstop, and even though I wasn't saying the words out loud in my head, those words are just rolling around. When particularly when I got angry, mm-hmm. and it was because that's what I was listening to all day long. Mm-hmm. In when I was in high school, I remember one, I think about this conversation a lot, one conversation I had with a friend of mine about it. And, you know, her stance on it was just like, you know, unwholesome talk that comes out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And she was like, you know, that's vague enough to have some wiggle room. And like, what if I'm using it to build relationships with people? What if I'm trying to meet people where they're at? Hmm. So I understand that. I was never particularly satisfied with that answer because it seems like more of an ex post facto, like that's how I justify the way that I am behaving Mm -hmm. versus like I read that and I said, I need to start swearing to really get along with my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To really really give them Jesus, I need to start using the F word a lot more. But that was the argument that I heard in high school. Mm. Sure. And then my last question, maybe... It's kind of a, maybe an interesting turn, and, and just for larger context, I'm actually really glad, Dan, that you brought up the thing about, you know, if you say, you know, not to be angry in your heart and say, you know, mm-hmm. like, you fool, um, I don't know the cultural context of the word that Jesus was using. Maybe that was, like, the equivalent of, like, cussing someone out, or maybe it just meant, like, you fool, like, it was just a mean thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think, I don't know if I want to frame this question in terms of, like, is it better or worse, but, like, looking at kind of what Max was just saying, swearing, and even kind of what you guys were talking about, where it's just sort of like a casual thing. I'm not not saying it in anger. Um, it's just a word that's just kind of, you know, it's casual friendship building, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you is know, we go like, around town swearing at stuff. Is that better than, like, using non-profane language really angrily? Well, they're both pretty bad alternatives. Sure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We've Which all is, been around Christians who are just angry all the time. Mm-hmm. It can creep you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I'm not sure if like better or worse is the right way to frame it. It's just like these two things. You know, we think of yeah. swearing, but yeah. man looks at the outward appearance and the Lord looks at the heart. Like, True. is it mm. is it really any different if if our hearts in the same place to use less mm. offensive or like culturally offensive words, or is it just as bad or? Like just the relationship between those two things is kind of what I wanted to get mm. at. I think one of the things that's hardest about this and and some of the passages where Paul is really explicit about it, like, hey, don't do this, is trying to get into 
trying to read the Bible like it's not about us, right? Mm. Which is the one of the biggest things I struggle with is like, okay, what does the fact that Paul is saying this as a command say about God? Um, what is the what is the thing that it reveals about him? I think as long as you take it as just like a command, as the 11th or 12th or 16th commandment, right? Then you're still going to lose the personhood of God in it. You're going to lose the point of it. I think it's hard for me to... Like it's, it's, well, it's easy for me to put it on a scale and be like, according to my opinion, it's like, yeah, that was worse to be angry than it is to be just like casually using something. But in God's economy, like mm. he doesn't look at, I don't think one sin is worse than the other. And man, maybe to him it's just as bad that someone's cursing out, damning people in the way they talk to like casually letting out like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how or like his or Jesus Christ is in like even in a casual way like mm-hmm. that must hurt him as well mm-hmm. maybe even in a deeper way than if someone's angry about how, I don't know sure yeah the thing that i always come back to with this issue beyond you know like the do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth cuz that is really vague mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. could mean it is interesting that most of our most of our english swear words are generally about dirty or or private things so i guess Mm -hmm. that kind of plays a role too Mm. um but uh the thing that i always come back to is whether or not it's a swear you know words only have the value and the meaning that we give them as society and we provably i mean like even just in the way that we rate our movies like these words are not appropriate for like Mm. kids and general consumption Mm. they have a certain connotation that goes along with them Mm. and so like they might be fine things to say in a vacuum, but our our culture views them a certain way, mm. and to me that says like if you know as a Christian I'm supposed to look different, yeah, mm. and if I'm speaking in a way that is no different than anyone else is speaking, sure. uh, it seems to me like I'm not doing my job right because I would hope, and obviously we do we all do this imperfectly, but I would hope that every part of my life, from the way that I speak, the way that I act, to the way that I handle my money, everything would point someone to Jesus. Sure. Ephesians, oh, Ephesians 4.17 is, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated mm-hmm. from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Um, there are multiple times that Paul says like, yeah, when you didn't know the truth about the way the universe works and about the existence and personhood of God, like that was different. I had pity on you, but now you know, and you're still choosing to turn your back on it. Um, and now sin is different in your life. Um, that's what that makes me think of is to say, you know what that word, what those words mean to the culture you're living in. Hmm. And yet you're still choosing to use them flippantly. Like, are you representing God or are you living your life as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking? Just thinking about, because I know a lot of our listeners probably face this either in their families or, you know, people swearing and if our listeners are people who don't, it can create issues of tension for them of feeling like, oh, I don't feel mm. comfortable. And then it can make the people that are their friends or family feel like, oh, I can't really like, be myself around mm-hmm. them because then they're like judging me. And so I think it's, I think it's real important to take people as they are. I mean, not, not coming at them with a judgmental attitude. I mean, as a pastor, I've heard people on the phone all the time <laughs> swearing over the years you know and i'm sure bill scott maybe have experienced that too of and then that's they're swearing at you but it's just they're frustrated with life and but what they don't need in that to say well actually you need to watch your language i just try to this is where people are at mm-hmm. yeah and 
not not make that an obstacle yeah. to be able to share Christ or to show Christ's love to them. Swearing, though, fuels your anger, too. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people would like to just be able to eliminate it from their lives because they realize, I'm better than this. Yeah. I read a book when I was a kid called Vec as in Wreck. It was the story of Bill Vec, the owner of the Cleveland Indians when they won the world championship back in 1948, and he was the owner of the Chicago White Sox when they won hmm. the pennant in 1959. So he was working with teams that normally don't win. Mm-hmm. But he said in the book that swearing is bad because it says that you don't have a vocabulary. Yeah. Hmm. So even though was he wasn't a Christian, was a yeah. he did not swear because his parents wanted him to have a vocabulary. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, my parents said the same thing. Like if you you got to be able to express yourself in a in a deeper way than that. Sure. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we move on to someone else's question? I think it was a really good question. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. It came from a conversation with Little Max, um the Wheaton student that I meet with every week. We were talking about Christian music and profanity. Hmm. And that's where it came from. Bill's got a really good one. Really? Yeah. My question is, why do almost all Christians not like reading the Bible? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my guts, my gut says, you know, you've you talked about this on our spiritual warfare episode that like as soon as you start to draw close to God, it becomes a lot more uh, urgent for the devil to try and pull you back. Relationships are work. That's a great point. Because essentially this is maintaining a relationship with God. Yeah. yeah. And I think in my life, I'm very accustomed to relationships having very instantaneous give and take, like an instant return on my investment. If I say something that I think you'll like to hear, then you'll laugh or smile and say something back to me that you think I'd like to hear. And so it's like very rapid, very immediate. But the fact of the matter is that like very rarely is it like that with God, at least in my experience, where... I'm, you know, I say a prayer and immediately get a response. I, you know, I'm reading something and immediately I'm like really fascinated by it and inspired by it. Mm. Um, I think there are, there are, there's a mindset you can get into that puts you closer to that place, that mindset of, of reading the Bible with a sense of urgency, like it is urgently trying to tell you something. But I think that's also a big disconnect is, you know, the world moves fast and there's this lie that lives inside me that says the word of God moves slow. I think it's an interesting, um, like, paradox almost because reading the word of God, we're told, is something that we should do every day. And generally speaking, the things we do, the things we're supposed to do every day are not super interesting. Um, brush your teeth, maybe exercise. Like it requires effort to build into a habit, right? It's it it doesn't always um, unless it immediately like activates your pleasure centers. It's probably going to require conscious effort each day to get into the routine to do it every day, and that's what we're supposed to do. So it's hard on the front end, and then it becomes a habit, and then it becomes routine. Hmm. And then and you it's fall hard. Off the other side of the horse. It's hard on the back end. <laughs> um, you know, it becomes just this thing like, okay, well, I gotta mm-hmm. gotta read my Bible today. So let me read. Okay, you know, it's really, really difficult. I think to find that sweet spot of like the intentional time spent, and also not remembering to do it, but you know, find that middle ground between like I'm doing this 
as often as I, you know, as often as I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm, even though I'm doing this every day, even though it's routine, I'm still going to open up my mind to it, open up my heart to it, and to allow it to to impact me beyond just. And that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like like when you look at a kid learning how to brush their teeth. Starting, you get the timer, brush for two minutes, right? Okay, good. Brush your teeth, got to remind you. And brush your teeth, okay, good. And then, like, I feel like probably timer kind of goes away and the teeth brushing time goes down and down and down and down and down, <laughs> and down until it's like, did you brush your teeth? Kid runs to the bathroom, bam, yeah, I'm done, I did it. Um, I think it's just our natural inclination with anything that hmm. that is kind of, this is a really negative word, but like a chore, you know, sure. a thing to be done routinely mm-hmm. uh, for our well-being. I think there's also a piece to it that, you know, if you think of your life like an engine or you think of your life like a train, um, you know, your day like a train, that depending on what direction your train is going, just give me a second, Bill. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of some quote from the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Uh, well, because of the word train. If I may return to my train. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. If you think of your life like a train, depending on what direction you're going, reading the Bible could require you to like slam to a halt. It could be like, okay, reading the Bible is is kind of kind of a of a counterintuitive action. Like it requires me to stop doing all these things that I want to do, and even while I'm reading, I'm still thinking about them. I do believe there's a way that you can that you can live living for the glory of God wherein you don't have to stop the train to read the Bible and and reading the Bible just at the very least keeps keeps it going like you don't have to slow down one bit and it's just like yes this is more and more in line with the way that I'm trying to live mm-hmm. my life this is more and more in the way that I'm trying to view the world I want to see my life and the world the way that it truly is and this time to center on God helps me maintain that balance. My mind was going a whole different direction with this. One of the reasons why even those of us who are big readers Hmm. have a hard time enjoying the Bible. I put myself in this group probably clear up until the year 2012. So at that point, I turned 60. And you've been a pastor for? For like 40 years, and I'd uh, been raised in a Christian home with a Bible, mm-hmm. and still it was not truly enjoyable. The, re- the thing that tipped it in 2012 was the Bible in 90 days. I remember mm-hmm. doing that. So in order to see, can this humanly be done? I got a head start before I preached a sermon asking people to do the Bible 90 days. And I read the whole Bible in something like 28 days. The reason why I was able to accomplish that was because I was also training for a marathon. And so I was listening to it while I was running. And I was running about two hours a day. So that got two-thirds of it done. And then I'd read an hour at night. Wow. Yeah, boy, that was a really intense 28 days. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to be able to tell them, it can be done. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not asking mm-hmm. you to do something that I'm not sure if this can even be done. Mm. So from that point on, by just binge reading the Bible, it became much more enjoyable. So thinking of your analogy, at first it's a chore, and then it's a routine, and then it actually becomes a pleasure. And I saw that with 
people exercising at LA Fitness at first. Yeah, it was a chore. Mm. But then they, after several years, and this, this takes years. This is not something that's going to happen in a couple of months. After several years, it becomes something that you look forward to. Mm. That I, I want to, in my case, I want to run. I'm looking forward to running. But it took 10 years to get to that spot. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, the same thing. And I think one of the hindrances to me, and to really, I think, about 99.9% of all Christians, we have not been taught the most simple truth about the Bible. And that is, the Bible is not about moral principles. It's not about key figures such as Moses, David, Daniel, Peter, Paul. The Bible is about God. And no matter what passage you're reading, even if it's a genealogical table, God is the star of that passage. Mm-hmm. And if you miss that, you've missed the whole point. And so no wonder you don't like reading it because you're not tuning into God. You're busy with Moses or you're busy with a genealogical table. And mm-hmm. But when you start seeing God, and in my case, I really try to find Jesus on every page, then, it, whoa, that's what's really going on here. Mm. Uh, it's My best analogy is, do you know the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. See, I think that's just the best cartoon ever. Mm-hmm. Just a mm-hmm. genius, yeah. Bob Watterson. When I first read Calvin and Hobbes, I, I just thought, this is dumb. You know, what, what, I'm not even reading this. And then one day, a really smart guy at our church in Long Grove was talking about Calvin and Hobbes and how much he loved it. And I just said to him, Paul, I've tried to read that comic. I, I don't think it's funny at all. I just don't get it. A little boy with a tiger. He says, you know, the tiger is just a stuffed doll. It's his imagination that brings the tiger to life. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) So from that point on, I realized I missed the entire point of this cartoon. Mm -hmm. And it has many layers. There's great philosophy in it. And it's it's just awesome. To my way of thinking, it's the best cartoon ever. But but I was missing it. I didn't even want to read it. And I, I think a lot of us are doing the same with the Bible. We we just we're missing the whole point because we haven't unlocked it. It's it's actually about God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that one of my professors in the way past said, which really I think it rang true with me then, and it still does now, is inviting God into your time reading the Bible is really mm. important. So it made me think like, okay, if I was reading Harry Potter and I had the ability to sit down with J.K. Rowling, the mm-hmm. author, like how cool would that be as I read the book to be like, wow, like what did you mean here? And what was this? And what was your thought process? And mm-hmm. it's like, if that would be really cool to me to have like, we have the God of the universe, the author of the Bible, who's, you know, he's our friend, he's at our disposal to, as we invite him into it to say, hey, we want you to show me, like, mm-hmm. what did you mean here? Like, if we, as more we do that, I think the more it really enriches our time reading the Bible. Something that I've discovered that I really, that's actually even just even, even happened to me this morning because I happened to look ahead. I'm reading through First Samuel right now. And um, it, it's so easy because of the way that the Bible is like demarcated into chapters and verses mm-hmm. and, and even these little story headings to, mm-hmm. to read one of those things 
one chapter, one story, even one verse, and then to just leave it at that. And that can be, especially especially in the Old Testament, um, that can be really, it can kind of suck the life out of it because yeah. it's like, all right, well, I'm going to read this. Okay, you know, Saul did that, David did that. Oh, okay, we're, we're done. Um, but I found that reading, especially, I mean, it's hard to do this with longer books, but like one day a few years ago, I read all the way through Romans, which is, you know, it's like what, 12 or 18 chapters, something in that family. So it's not super short, but it's not certainly not very long. And um, and just seeing the connections, it just makes it so much more meaningful. And today I was, as I said, reading First Samuel, and, and uh, I was reading the part where David goes and eats the holy bread, and, um, you know, they go and, and they talk to this priest, I think his name is Ahimelech, and he gives them the bread and he gives them the sword of Goliath and they go on their way. And there's this guy there named Dog the Edomite or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's Saul's servant or something. And then very likely, because I read the Bible at the beginning of the day, Wednesdays are very busy. When I got to tomorrow, I probably would have kind of forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. But I happened to look forward and see that one of the little titles of the coming stories in the next chapter was Saul kills the priests at Nob, which is, I think that was a, or Nod, something like that, which is where David had just been. And I was like, well, that's very interesting. Mm. So I went and I read, and again, even just in one day, I think I would have forgotten that context. Um, but reading through, I can see like these guys, you know, David, <laughs> David, I think kind of misrepresented what was going on and said he was like out serving Saul, mm-hmm. even though he was running from Saul. And, and the guy gave him some food and it was, you know, He's very nice, and and then Saul comes, and and the guy tells him what happened, and Saul kills him. In fact, Saul tells his servants to kill him, and they're like, "No, we're not killing the priests." And then Saul tells Dog, he's like, "You kill him." And Dog's like, "Okay." <laughs> and it's just like, what an interesting thing that made that story come so much more to life mm-hmm. because I didn't just stop at the chapter mm-hmm. marker. Yeah. Um, and I think that can really, yeah. if you allow it to, that can also really um, just enliven your Bible reading as you see mm-hmm. more of the connections and the through lines of the narrative. I yeah. agree. Takes out the kind of mechanical nature of it, yeah, and you really begin to, like Bill said, have more pleasure in it because it just starts to come to life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you've never read Hebrews one through like six all in a row, or one through seven, I would encourage you to do that. Maybe do it in an, in an easier to read translation, maybe the NLT, but it's like one argument. You notice that whoever was the person who set where the chapters are in Hebrews either was a prankster or. <laughs> or understood the Bible infinitely better than I am, which it's certainly the second one. Uh, but every chapter starts with therefore. And so the way it's set up is all of the evidence for his conclusion is at the second half of the previous chapter. And then the first uh, half of this chapter is the conclusion. And then he's going to give you the evidence for the next argument. So if we just shift them all over about a paragraph, all the numbers over a paragraph, then it makes more sense. But I would encourage you to read it really does flow together because it's one continuous argument about why salvation makes sense within a Jewish framework. Like this is about the mechanics of salvation and this is why Jesus fulfills it. I've noticed in different translations, you know, some of the stories will be separated a little bit differently. The headings will be separated, but the verses and the chapters consistent. Right. Where did that come from? Oh, it, it took a long time for the verses and chapters to come about. I, I mean, a long time, like, I think maybe something like 14, 1500 A.D. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a joke that Stephanus was the man who put the verses and chapters there, and he was riding a horse, and sometimes it would bump him, and he'd 
market in the wrong place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did a whole lot better than I could have ever done. (laughs) I I have a final thought about this. It's really helped me a lot. When I'm dry with reading the Bible, I will read it out loud. Mm. And reading it out loud is the way it was supposed to be read. Mm. It Mm. just comes to life. Not necessarily the very first minute of the first day, but you do that, even if you're really spiritually dry, you do that a few days into it. Wow, what a difference. Mm. Um, For our closing segment this week, it's time for listener mail. Scott, will you please ring the listener mail bell? (gasps) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, um, Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rathers, trivia quizzes, and donations to the Jet Ski Fund to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Eric did. Eric asks, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.13 says, Judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. I'm a man, and my hair is almost down to my shoulders. Is that a problem? <laughs> Doesn't this seem kind of mean? <laughs> uh, thank you, Eric. Um, I agree with both of those questions. Um, why don't we see women covering their heads while praying in public? Does God still feel the same way about um, about long hair? Did he ever feel that way, or is it just the way that this is phrased? Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And then the next verse ends with the words, for long hair is given to her as a covering. Mm-hmm. Well, is he answering the question? No, it's not wrong because mm-hmm. her long hair is the covering. And I think maybe that's the way some churches have interpreted it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty much the Mennonites, the Amish, that are covering their heads now. Sure. It's really hard for me to think of any other churches mm-hmm. in America that cover their heads. The word custom jumps out at me. It's not like we have this commandment. It's like this is like a custom that we, sure, according to the cultural norms of what's going on, this is the custom that we've adopted. Yeah, and he says, he says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman? Mm-hmm. He says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. It really sounds like it's, and I, and this is a, a, a tread lightly sort of topic, um, but it, in this passage with those two sections it really seems like it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. like paul's basically saying you know this is this is the custom is that it's inappropriate for women to mm-hmm. have their heads uncovered or it's it's inappropriate for men to have their hair long um but he's you know judge for yourselves or he, he doesn't say like if anyone has contention like you're wrong he just says like this is the way that it is as far as i know in all god's churches that's what it seems like to me hmm. uh, in that passage i know we, we don't want to get into like the territory of being like well when paul said this it was definitely just for those people back then but because mm-hmm. of those two parts of it it seems like that could be sure i think paul though is such a soul winner he really doesn't like to get bogged down with practice stuff hmm. he wants the unsaved who come into their assembly to feel welcome, mm-hmm. not yeah. to see a group of people bickering over, is your hair too long? Right. Are you covering it well enough? It's also, you know, to that same 
point you know, of Paul wanting people to be able to come in and, and feel welcome, it makes me think of the way that different churches approach the issue of like a not like a dress code, but the level of formality to which mm -hmm. you dress. Mm -hmm. You know, some churches, uh, and like I'm not passing judgment on either of these perspectives. I think they both have value. But some churches think, you know, you got to be wearing a suit. Like in our culture, that's what's formal. That's what's going to show that this is really important to you, that you really mm -hmm. care about this, yeah. whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. In other churches, you'll see no one in a suit, um, at least not on staff, because, and I actually know that Chelsea and Chris came from a church like this, so this was their perspective. They were like an inner city church, and it was like, we know that people are going to come in off the streets who cannot afford that kind of clothes. And so we don't want them to come and be like, well, this is not a place mm -hmm. for me. Like, hmm. this is too highbrow for me. This is out of my league. I can't afford to wear a suit, so I'm not going to come back. Um, both of those perspectives coming from that place, you know, reflect a desire for people to be able to come in and not be distracted by things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of like what Bill was saying, you know, maybe the length of your hair or, or whatever, it doesn't really matter, but we don't want to be a distraction to people one way or the other. We experienced that in Omaha. Our church dressed casually, and there was a big Sunday once a year. We would meet with a total of seven churches for basically the Sunday closest to Christmas. It was like going to heaven. It was so great. We had 400 gifts purchased so that probably 90% of the children receiving the gifts were very poor. Mm -hmm. And this might be the only gift many of them would get. So they would decorate the sanctuary of this church to look like a fairyland. And they had the presence up on the second floor and a sliding board they would slide down. And then people dressed up as elves <laughs> would say, you know, Jose Rodriguez, we've got your present. And, you know, Jose comes up and he's all excited and they give it to him. And sometimes he just open it. And other times, like, I'm saving this till Christmas Day. So you get 400 kids in a room receiving these presents. Mm -hmm. And then we'd all eat lunch together. It was a converted high school that they turned into a church. So they got a cafeteria seats, a lot of people. And we could all eat together. So it's black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people all together having this worship service. Mm. But the point of my story is when I brought this up to our church, I said, listen, we need to wear suits because the black people and Hispanic people are dressed up. And if we show up just wearing golf shirts, well, it would be in the wintertime, just sweaters, it's, it's like we're not taking this seriously. So all the men, all right, heck, that makes sense. And I think that was the whole point, that mm. you're trying to get along and, and have, in this case, racial reconciliation. And man, it was a taste of heaven. It was worth mm. it. was really great. Mm. The people that Joe and Andrea are trying to reach, you look at Andrea, sometimes she's wearing a head covering. Yeah. Well, she's, she's trying to reach these Muslims for Christ. Why be offensive about it? Mm. Uh, well, that's all the time that we have this week. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank, thank you, Max. Thank you, Max. Scott, <laughs> take us home. Well, I was a big fan of Curtis Washington's sign-off, mm -hmm. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy him. Praise Jesus.
So sound check. Yeah. I need to pull in Hello. Hello. My name is Max. Hello. My name is Bill Calvin. <laughs> Hello. Would you rather be a man with a woman's arms or just decent at all sports? <laughs> 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 is that a mix and match question? <laughs> okay, I'm like those don't I seem think very we related. Do a mix and match. Ooh, we do a mix and match. I do a man with a woman's arms are just decent at all sports. <laughs> I'd rather be decent at all sports because that's pretty much how I am now. Know how to, I don't know how to measure those two. Um, let's do that again. Max, Bill Calvin, Akron, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather have freakishly overdeveloped muscles or be a mediocre singer in a wildly popular band? <laughs> Dan Marcello. Thank you. <laughs>